everyone's doing well this morning. This morning we're jumping back into our series on Proverbs for a few weeks and resuming that leading up to Advent. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at Proverbs 13.20. Proverbs 13.20. Today we're going to be looking at wise friendship from the Proverbs. Proverbs 13.20 says this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 1 Peter 1.24 says this, and we say it often here, that all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. And the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let's go before him this morning and ask his help in understanding and applying this. Lord Jesus, what we need more than anything this morning is to see you, the friend of sinners. Lord, we pray that your word would come and convict us, that it would encourage us, that it would reveal the areas of our life where, uh, where we need to be a better friend, or maybe where we need to seek better friends. Uh, but Lord, that ultimately our hope and our stay would be in your friendship with us. Lord, we pray that you would do all this by the power of your spirit, and we ask it in your name. Amen. So I'm about to date myself here a little. Uh, to some, this is going to make me seem like a dinosaur, particularly the youth. Uh, and to everybody else in the room, it's going to make me seem like I'm your child. Uh, and I don't really see much in between here. But um, when I was growing up, before the days of Facebook, before Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and all those things, there was one social media platform that ruled all the rest, and it was MySpace. Kind of wish we could bring MySpace back. I bet there probably weren't seven of you in this room that even had MySpace. So let me fill you in, okay? Uh, MySpace had some really cool features, all right? It was, it was a neat social media platform. One of its not-so-great features, though, was something called Top Friends, all right? So whenever you would go on somebody's MySpace profile, not only were you greeted with, like, a custom background and they could pick the song that would start playing when you opened their profile... But then whenever you scroll down a little bit, you would see this list of top friends. And this top friends is pretty much exactly what you think it is, right? The people on this list were determined by the profile owner. And so who was on the list and the order they were placed in was determined by you. And it was something that was updated pretty regularly. All right, now the criteria for who got ranked where, it was always a bit of a moving target. And that was, a, you know, it was an unwritten rule that the person you were dating or, you know, whatever dating means in middle school, but... Maybe, you know, and also, right, the, the, the person that you hope to date automatically got the number one spot. All right? That was, that was move number one. You give them the number one spot on your top friends, but the remaining nine were kind of fluid. They were up for grabs. And so as long as our friendship stayed pretty good, then you earned and kept a high ranking on the list. But if we had some beef, then you'd get bumped down the rankings. And if things got pretty serious, you know, and you really, you know, you really were a backstabber or something like that, then I would promote someone over you that you really didn't like on my top friends, you know, uh, just to twist the knife a little. You can imagine how drama-inducing this was, but let me tell you something, guys. The top friends on MySpace sent shockwaves through the halls of CMS back in 2010, okay? Uh, it was a big deal. Uh, this ranking was no joke. So, now, even though, right, there's a lot that's really foolish in that and keeping a list like that on social media, and I would say probably even just flat out wrong, uh, it does highlight the reality that we were made for friendship, and we recognize that from a young age. 
We were made for companionship, and we also recognize that some friends will be closer than others. And Proverbs tells us that the friends we choose are incredibly important. And rather than leaving us to decide the criteria for ourselves, how we determine who our close friends are, what Proverbs does is it comes alongside us and it gives us new criteria. It gives us wisdom for choosing friends and maintaining those friendships. And so what we're doing today is we're going to see three different things about wise friendships. First, we're going to see why we need them. Why are they important? Next, we're going to ask, what do these friendships look like? And then lastly, how do we cultivate them? So first, why we need them, why we need wise friendships. Let's turn back to our main verse today, Proverbs thirteen twenty. I want you to listen again and notice how two different types of friends lead to two very different results. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. God's word is clear on this, that our friendships are formative. They play a tremendous role in shaping our souls and actually helping set the course of our life. We become like the people that we surround ourselves with. So if we choose wise friends, we will grow in wisdom. But if we choose foolish friends, then this is also true, right? We will become increasingly foolish. Now let's define these terms, what it means to have a wise friend and a foolish friend. What is the Bible actually saying when it says that there are some who are wise and some who are foolish? Wisdom, we've kind of defined through the series in Proverbs, as being the skill of living well in God's world. Say that again. Wisdom is the skill of living well in God's world. So the wise person is one who knows, loves, and obeys God and goes with the grain of his design for how the world works. The wise person is someone who lives with an acute awareness that God is near, that he's good, that he's holy, and they let that awareness shape the way they do all of life. Not perfectly, but faithfully. God shapes their reality. The fool, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. This person does not know God, Proverbs 1.7. The fool despises authority, including God, because they are wise in their own eyes, Proverbs 10.8. And if you notice here, you get these two definitions, these two polar opposites, it seems. You can see that it's actually very possible to be driven, successful, intelligent, attractive, right? Successful by all the world's standards and still be a fool in the Bible's eyes. So Proverbs warns us not to befriend a fool. For example, consider this warning from Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. He says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. All right, so here the author identifies a particular type of fool, the angry person. And we're told specifically not to make friends with this kind of person because we will become ensnared, trapped, right, sucked into their anger. Think about a bar fight. I don't know if you've ever been in a bar fight. I, I personally haven't. You can probably look at me and tell I'm not much of a bar fighter, but... I've seen movies of bar fights, okay? Um, right, but think about like a, a bar fight. There's typically that one guy that's an absolute hothead and he's got a chip on his shoulder. And something that shouldn't be very offensive sets him off and triggers him, right? Now there's an altercation. Rather than just settling things with words, right, we've got to resort to fists. Or resort to fists. And it's never just those two, right? Because then they're going to bring their buddies into it. And so now what starts as something very foolish and insignificant becomes a brawl, right? And multiple people become wrapped up and entangled in this. And this is a picture of what happens when we surround ourselves with angry people. 
we become angry too because our lives or the, the lives of our friends shapes our own. And what we said in general about the fool earlier can be said in particular with the angry person. Right? Often there's something about an angry person that can draw us in. They typically project a kind of confidence and decisiveness that maybe we wish we had. Perhaps by the world standards, they've even been very successful. But if we are going to walk with wisdom, we need to see all of life, including our friendships, through God's lens. The world standard of wisdom is not the standard that matters most, if at all. The standard that matters most is what God says true wisdom is and what true foolishness is. We need to be wise and avoid doing life with fools, lest we become foolish ourselves. Now, this does raise an important question. If Proverbs tells us in very striking terms that we are not to pursue friendships with fools, but we are to pursue friendships with the wise, does that mean that I should avoid being friends with people who are not followers of Jesus? Right? That's kind of a tension that emerges here. And my answer to that would be no, but with a caveat. Right? On, on one hand, we need to remember that Jesus, one of the criticisms leveled against him by his opponents was that he was a friend of sinners. For Jesus, evangelism and discipleship took the form of authentic relationships, shared meals, genuinely showing interest in another person, creating a context of trust where truth could be given. And in a society, I don't know if you've looked around, but distrust seems to be pretty high right now. Not only is distrust high in our society, but also there's really no shared basis of truth between people groups. And so in this space, I feel like it's very important for Christians to recapture this method of Jesus. We need authentic friendships with people who are not followers of Jesus to provide that context where trust can be built and where we can gently and patiently share the truth in love. Our evangelism and our discipleship needs to look more like friendship, not less. But on the other hand, Proverbs is specifically addressing our close friends, our inner circle, those that we walk with, is what Proverbs 13.20 says there. It's those that we do life with. Think about the life and ministry of Jesus for a second. All right? You can read through the gospel accounts, and Jesus befriended and interacted with, to an extent, thousands. Right? He interacted with crowds, uh, people who may or may not have gone on to follow him. But then he also had the 12, right? His, his close friends. And even within that 12, there were three that were even closer. And it was in those relationships, right, with these 12 men, with those three men that Jesus shared everything with. And he cultivated a rich, transparent friendship. So what we need is an inner circle of friends that are truly wise by God's standards. Friends that know him, love him, and obey him. And these two things are not opposed, right? Because if we have friendships with godly people who are constantly pointing us back to Jesus, those friendships are going to nourish us so that when we are befriending people who do not know Jesus, we're actually at a better place to be a good friend to them. Our souls will be better nourished and guarded. And so, I don't want you to miss this, though, that the Bible, a lot of times we think the Bible is always just telling us what not to do. I want you to notice that the Bible tells us what not to do, but also tells us explicitly what to pursue, what good thing to pursue. It doesn't just tell us to avoid befriending fools. It actually commends wise friendship to us. It tells us this is what we are to pursue. So in the same way that it assures us that our lives will be shaped by foolish friends, it also tells us that our lives will be shaped by wise friends. 
Church, if we're going to grow in wisdom and honor God with our lives, then it is important, I'll say essential, that we have good, wise friendships. They're an indispensable tool in God's hand for growing us in His grace. And so once we see that we need these wise friendships, what do these friendships look like? What kind of friend do I want to be? What kind of friend am I looking for? If you would, we're going to be moving around a little bit in Proverbs. Um, Proverbs seventeen seventeen. Proverbs seventeen seventeen. The author says this. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. In other words, wise friendship, the first thing that Proverbs tells us about wise, good friendship, is that it is steadfast, it's faithful. See, we are used to be... We're used to being loving and being loved when it's convenient and advantageous. But this is not true friendship. A true friend loves at all times, through good times and bad, through times of ease and adversity. When you are battered by the trials of life and you have nothing to give, when there is nothing in it for someone to be your friend, that's when a good friend stays. That's when a good friend is faithful. Wise, rich friendship endures hardship and trial, and it stays. It endures. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So not only is wise friendship faithful, but it's also intentional. That word sticks, when it says that a friend sticks closer than a brother, it literally means to cleave, to cling And when you cling to something, there has to be a determination to hold on and never let go. It's something that doesn't happen by accident. Uh, I remember, I think it was like our first month of marriage, actually. Kaylee and I went to a a conference in Atlanta called the Passion Conference. Louis Giglio, it's uh, like 100,000 people coming to the Georgia Dome. And, you know, John Piper and all these awesome artists and pastors show up and it was my first time really trying to navigate around a city where 100,000 people are trying to leave and arrive at one time. Uh, and so she's kind of small, if you hadn't noticed, right? And so she can just sort of bob and weave in, like through this crowd, which is great for getting to the front of lines and getting out quickly. But it was also really easy to lose her because when she's gone, like, you know, you're not seeing her, all right? And not that I'm in much of a position to see her anyway, but... Um, so, so what I would do is I would hold on to her backpack, right? There was a determination made... That whether she zigs or zags, I'm following her, right? I'm not letting go. I'm not going anywhere. And if we're doing friendship the right way, right, this will be true of us. There has to be a determination that's made that no matter what comes, good or bad, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying put. I'm not going to let go. And if we're doing friendship the right way, this kind of intentionality also means that it will limit us in terms of the number of friendships like this we can have. I don't want you to miss that, that if we are going to make this kind of commitment to friendship, that I am with you through thick and thin to the end, we cannot be that kind of friend for everyone, and that's okay. Wisdom recognizes that. This proverb says that a man of many companions may come to ruin. Why? Because all of his friendships are an inch deep and a mile wide. And when trials come, when difficulty comes, his friendships are not rich enough and strong enough to sustain him or really do any good. But on the other hand, a person with a few close friends who's gone 
deep and cultivate a rich friendship with a few. That person has friends that can be closer than family. They have friendships that will sustain them during difficult seasons. Next thing we see about wise friendship and what it looks like, Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. I apologize for moving quickly, so if you just want to listen along, that's totally okay, or just write these down. But Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Next thing we see is that wise friendship is honest. Wisdom, the wise person, finds honesty far more important in friendship than flattery and passivity because the wise person recognizes they need it. I'm not sure if you've ever listened to a recording of your own voice. I remember the first time I went back there to upload a sermon after I preached, and I was like, good grief, that's what I sound like. I was convinced I had like this James Earl Jones voice going, and apparently I don't, uh, right? We, we sound very different outside of our heads than we do inside of our heads, right? It's, it's kind of freaky the first time you hear it. The reason that is, right, is because we, we need an outside perspective. We need someone who's more objective to actually reveal something about us that we wouldn't see on our own, and that's true of friendship as well. We need the perspective and occasionally the rebuke of other people in order for us to see ourselves clearly. We desperately need friends who will be completely honest with us even when it's painful. See, the difference in a friend and an enemy is that a friend loves you enough to wound you. A friend loves you enough to be honest even when it's painful. An enemy has no such consideration, right? An enemy is totally content to flatter you and let you head towards your own destruction. A friend won't do that. But church, we are in a dangerous, dangerous place when we get these two mixed up. When we begin to think that everyone who speaks a hard word to us is an enemy and that those who always agree with us are our friends because they tell us what we want to hear, we're in a dangerous place. We're going against the wisdom of God. We need friends who will be honest. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. This one may be more familiar to you. It says, Iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. Friendship was given by God to sharpen us, to knock the rough edges off. And in order to do this, honesty must be reciprocal in that friendship. It must go both ways. It's not uncommon at all to hear people who pride themselves on their ability to tell it like it is, to speak the hard word. And so when we read verses like this, when there's a tendency for us to swell up with a certain amount of pride that says, yes. I'll be that person. I'll step in and I'll speak the hard word. I'll say what needs to be said. But wisdom, however, doesn't just do the sharpening. It submits to being sharpened by other people. Wisdom isn't just eager to speak a hard word. It's willing to listen to a hard word and receive it with humility. Proverbs 27.9 Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. So some of us rush to to say the hard word. Others have the opposite problem. We may be more willing to receive a hard word than to actually speak one. But the call to honesty, as we said just a minute ago, is a call to have honesty that goes both ways, right? It's reciprocal. But this call to honesty is not a call to be brash and unloving. When a friend gives counsel, it says that it's earnest counsel. That word earnest there literally means flowing from the soul. It arises from a deep care and concern for the other's well-being. 
And because it does, it's like a pleasant oil or perfume that makes the heart glad. Wise friendship is tactful and gentle with its honesty. It uses honesty, as Kevin has said to me before, like a scalpel and not a chainsaw. Because when it has to cut, it aims to do so in such a way as to minimize the pain and the recovery time. We use honesty like a scalpel, not a chainsaw. That's wise friendship. Now, we've seen why we need wise friendship, and we've seen what wise friendship looks like. And so now I want to ask the question, all right, now how do we pursue this? How, how do I set out to cultivate friendships like this? And so this leads to our last point, which is how to cultivate it. First, I would say evaluate your friendships. Right? Think through your list of friends, your top friends, if you will. Right? Think through your list of friends and ask yourself the question, do my friends look more like fools or like the wise? Do I have friends that are willing to be honest with me? They're willing to say the hard word. And depending on your answer to that question, or those questions, you may need to reprioritize and invest more energy in pursuing friendships with like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not that we axe out the old friends and call them toxic or whatever it takes to make us feel better about moving on from people, right? But we, we, we say, okay, I, I need some, some wise friends I'm going to go over here and I'm going to spend a little more time investing in friendships over here. And that's okay. That's wise. Second thing I would say is to evaluate yourself. Ask yourself the question, what kind of friend am I? Am I the angry friend? Am I the fair weather friend that only sticks around when things are easier, when it's advantageous for me to be around? Am I the dishonest friend? Maybe not so much overtly lying, but am I the kind of friend that refuses to speak the truth in love to people? Am I, if I can say this, a useless friend um, that just will not be honest when it's necessary? In what ways do I need to grow in wisdom myself? And third, be willing to put in the work. If you want to have friendships like this, notice the word we're using here is cultivating. We talk about cultivating a friendship. We're using a farming term. Like, I'm not a farmer, okay? But I know some of y'all that are, and I really appreciate you bringing me your produce. But I know that that cultivating is not an instant thing, right? Uh, when you cultivate as a farmer, there is a process that you are going through. There's daily deposits that have to be made in order for flourishing to occur. So when we say that we're cultivating friendship, there is work implied here. There's work and patience implied here. So when it comes to friendship, we can easily become the kind of people that demand friendship from others, but we are unwilling to give it ourselves. Or we're unwilling to put in the work that it would take to make that friendship a reality. Friendship requires intentionality. It will not grow and flourish without effort. And perhaps there's no better place for us to start cultivating genuine friendship than right here in the local church. God, in his mercy and wisdom, has placed each of you in this body of believers. And he did that for your good, and he did it for our good. It's no accident that you're here. But we can easily become disenchanted and bitter when the church community doesn't live up to our standards. Hear this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a pastor in Germany. 
He said this, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial, God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Church, we don't need to be the kind of people that love our idea of community, our dream of community, more than we love the actual community God's placed in front of us. Let's be willing to cultivate. Let's be willing to initiate. Let's be willing to give and receive honesty, to cleave to one another through trials. And the last thing I would point you to, and it's really the first thing, it has to come first as we're pursuing friendships, is to look to Jesus. We said before in this series that, Proverbs, that in Proverbs, wisdom is often personified. Right? Proverbs is spoken of, or excuse me, wisdom is spoken of as a person. It's, I'm called a he or she, right? Wisdom is personified. And in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul tells us that wisdom is not something abstract, that it's a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus in John 15.12-17 says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. Hear this, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. See, fortunately for us, when Jesus' critics called him a friend of sinners, they were far more right than they knew. Jesus tells us plainly that he calls us his disciples, those who obey him, his friends. Jesus tells us that before we can love others well, we have to first rest and receive his love, or excuse me, receive and rest upon his love for us. Look at the portrait of friendship that Proverbs paints. Do you see Jesus jumping off the page at that list? He is the friend that's not just formative, he is transformative. When we abide in him, we begin to change from the inside out and bear fruit. We begin to look like him by spending time with him. His friendship is not transactional. Romans 5:8 when we could offer him nothing, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He is the friend who endures. He is not the fair-weather friend. Those whom he loves, he loves eternally. And he is faithful when we're on top of the world at our best. And he remains faithful when we are at our very worst. He's the friend who truly knows you. Jesus sees right through you. He is not fooled one bit by the facade we put up for other people. He sees us straight to the bottom and he says, I love you. He remains faithful. He loves us with an everlasting love. And he's the honest friend. Jesus does not come and simply affirm everything we think about ourselves or the world around us. Jesus comes and is honest with us. But in his honesty, he is still gentle and lowly in heart. He wounds so that he can bind up. 
Church, until we know this kind of friendship, every other friendship will be like a mirage in the desert. It will leave us frustrated and disappointed because people are imperfect just like we're imperfect. They are going to fail and let us down. And perhaps worst of all, if we haven't found this friendship in Jesus, we're going to drain every relationship that God gives us this side of eternity because we're going to be asking it to be something that only Jesus can be. We will zap it dry. But when we know him and when we rest in his love for us, then we're free. We're free to pursue and cultivate friendship knowing that we may get hurt. We're free to be patient with others because Jesus is patient with us. We're free to keep loving when other people have let us down because Jesus is faithful when we've let him down. I don't have to look for other people to satisfy this deep desire for companionship in my heart because Jesus has already satisfied that. I don't need other people to be the perfect friend. We're free to be honest and transparent because Jesus already outed me and he outed you as a fraud when he went to the cross. I don't have to hide from other people. I can be honest. I can be transparent. doesn't mean we broadcast everything to everyone. I think that's unwise. But we have those friendships. We're honest. We're vulnerable. We're transparent. Church, my, my prayer for us is that this friendship with Jesus would be tangible. It would be real. And that that friendship would then shape the way that we love other people. I, I hope that in recognizing that Jesus meets me where I am, not where I hope I am 10 years from now, but Jesus actually meets me here in my brokenness when I don't have it all together, I want to meet other people that way. Before they've got it figured out, before they've changed, before they've got their ducks in a row, I want to engage people with that kind of love because Jesus engages me with that kind of love. And my other prayer is, if you're here and you don't know this kind of friendship with Jesus, if Christianity to you is all about a list of rules and, you know, some dead guy you're supposed to cast up some prayers to when you're having a bad day, I just want you to know Christianity has got so much more to offer you than that. The Bible has got something more beautiful for you than that. Salvation is given in a person. And like Kevin said earlier, that person wants a relationship with us. He wants to interact he wants us to receive his love and go and give that love to other people. If you don't know Jesus as a friend, if you don't know him, then I want you to come and talk to somebody today. Talk to me or Kevin. Come and let us know. We would love to talk to you more about that. But Jesus is the friend of sinners, and that's really good news for me, and it's good news for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus when we were dead in our sins and we had nothing to offer nothing to contribute Jesus we thank you that when we fail when we drop the ball you don't retreat you don't cut us out of your life Lord you actually draw near when we're at our worst it evokes compassion in you when we suffer and when we're dumb Lord I pray that that would be true of us as well when we pursue other people I pray that there would be rich friendships in this church and I pray that out of those friendships that nourish the soul and make us wiser, Lord, I pray that then we would be better equipped to go out into the world and be a friend to people who need to know you as their friend. I pray that you would make our lives, our homes, places where we can relationally connect to other people with a genuine interest and care for them. Lord, so that they see in us a care that actually comes from you. 
Lord, I pray that this would be true of us here at Grace Fellowship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask uh, Ashley.